Welcome to the 21st Century Schizoid Podcast, the world's most schizoid podcast. I'm your schizoid host, Cooper Cherry. Today I have Alex Norton joining me. Alex is also a local Austin podcaster who hosts Psychological Warfare is the name of his podcast. So Alex, thanks for coming out and getting schizoid with me this afternoon. Thank you, Cooper. And maybe one day we'll figure out what schizoid means. <laughs> uh, I, I like to keep it illusory, but it uh, I mean, the whole idea is just this is how the uh, the late capitalist brain functions is mm-hmm. we jump around a lot. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we've got ADHD. We can't focus on one topic. So even with on one podcast, I may jump around all over the place. And that's sort of the ethos of the schizoid podcast. That's a that's well said. I'm a big fan of great names too. Naming yeah. my podcast a pretty violent name, and I don't think it's the best name in today's age of uh, censorship. At least with I read these um, sites losing um, losing views because of like news reporting because of Google's censoring certain outlets. So I worry about naming schemes like that now. Like I don't know if you listen to Democracy Now, but they're losing ratings because Google's censoring them. Really, yes. I hadn't heard that. Um, Who's on Democracy Now? So Democracy Now is Amy Goodman. It's a YouTube channel. It doesn't have a big YouTube following. It's got like 300,000 subscribers for how much news they poured out. They do a lot of interviews with Noam Chomsky. I would say he's probably interviewed on there the most times. And they do – I would say they do almost the real news. If you listen to Democracy Now, you probably learn more about what happened today than CNN for like four hours. They'll talk about – what I pretty much the biggest issue is like global warming. They'll talk about Trump in terms of what he actually is doing politically. Right. If he's like, I learned it the other day that the sense, the census is coming up in 2020. It happens every 10 years. And so they redo, and because of that, they redo the districts and thus the electoral college has different numbers every 10 years. And what they're doing is the head has left the head of the census department, and instead he's appointed he's appointed an interim chair. Chair. Now, I don't think Trump is doing this. I think someone is telling him to do this. But since he's not appointing a head, he doesn't have to go through congressional approval, like Betsy DeVos. Oh, interesting. Or Rex Tillerson. So the head will become sorry. The interim head he's appointed is the de facto leader, and the de facto leader is a guy I believe he used to he used to teach at A and M, but he's like. The perf- he's like the creator of gerrymandering, essentially. He's one of the chief architects of telling the Republicans to do gerrymandering, and he will essentially be the head of the census if this continues. So I don't see anyone reporting on an issue like that, for instance, in democracy now. Uh, but ju- just to back up before we jump into the meat of the conversation, tell us a little bit where can we find uh, Psychological Warfare, your podcast? Because uh, did you uh, – I'm, sh- I'm assuming on SoundCloud, on iTunes – Thank but where you. else can we find I'm you? I'm on SoundCloud, iTunes, and probably the best place is my site, psychowarfare.com. I couldn't buy Psychological Warfare. That was $20,000 <laughs> on the domain sites. Um, what about on social media? Do you even want to share your yeah, – at least psych- for the podcast? I have at Psycho Warfare and then HQ. So it's Psycho, P-S-Y-C-H-O, Warfare, HQ. Psycho Warfare was taken. And it's the same across all platforms. So that's – I do Periscope when I do my podcast, and I do Facebook as well, so it's the same. Nice. Um, so to start us off, actually, I'm kind of curious sort of what got you into doing podcasting and sort of how long you've been doing it and, and what that sort of evolutionary process has been like for you. Good. That's a great question. So I started four months ago when I left my job at IBM. I 
used to work at IBM. It's like 20 minutes north here on by Burnett, by the domain, if anyone ever goes parties there in Austin. And I grew up listening to Howard Stern a lot. So Howard Stern, he's private radio now in Sirius XM, but I always listened to him. And radio was one of my favorite platforms because I liked listening to Howard Stern. He was my favorite entertainer. And the thing that set aside Howard Stern from really any entertainer I've ever listened to is the way he phrased it, which is, it's like you're hanging out. It's like you're having fun. You're having a beer with this crew, this crew that is Robin, Fred. I don't know if you've ever listened to Howard Stern. A little bit, but yeah. It's, there's this crew, and if you listen to enough, it's iconic. Like, you know all their problems. You know Howard Stern, ma- Stern makes, you know, um, sex life jokes all the time, and he makes fun of Gary is usually the poster child and Robin kind of sets everyone straight because she's the only woman and she's the only black woman much less the only woman and she can identify with other with like racial tendencies and uh, cultural issues that usually Robin is the person who talks about them and so that was my favorite medium I also was a big fan of Tim Ferriss and all these other Joe Rogan these other big podcasts and I thought this is a medium I really want to try getting into and also with losing not having a job anymore. I realized like I wanted I wanted to have a job where I'm the boss, entrepreneurship, quote unquote, but I wanted the ability to be able to make an investment. Like no matter how often I get promoted inside these companies, it's still a hierarchy where I'm essentially working for someone. Like my fish is always fed to me. I have not learned how to fish. You know, teach a man how to fish. He feed he, he, <laughs> He eats forever. Um, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, right? So I haven't monetized my podcast at all. I've tried. And <laughs> I would love if it ever got moving that way. Uh, fingers crossed. But And also preserving my thoughts. My parents have listened to my podcast and they tell me <laughs> I, ram- I ramble a lot. Because I just... Uh, the things I read about, I get very pessimistic about where culture and life is going. You talked about the late stages of capitalism. <laughs> exactly. I don't think that's a good thing that we're at that stage. Oh, I definitely don't either. <laughs> and so that's really it. And also the podcast medium, I would think, is the easiest to get into and maybe the most financially gratifying. Whereas like Instagram, if you're not a model, I would say pretty much impossible. And YouTube <laughs> is really hard. Just like I admire PewDiePie. Do you know who that is? Oh, I'm familiar okay. a little bit. And yeah, he's the most like he even though his demographic is whatever eight to 12 year olds he's amassed all of them by the way so good luck (laughs) taking any of them that takes a lot of content like he's doing two to three videos a day and i know it's just him doing pretty much what we're doing with a video game controller in hand yeah sitting next to a mic but he's entertaining and he's done that every day literally for like seven years jesus so i mean look at his videos he's one of the earliest youtubers so anyway youtube it's and that's not even going into like some people i think are big like the slow motion guys where basically they just do things like shoot stuff and then they have these like insane cameras where it's like very, very slow down and the editing, you know, some of these, the quality on YouTube has risen where some of these are like movie status videos and they're five minutes. Like they're spending two weeks editing this shit, I think. <laughs> like I got a little bit in the editing, like Adobe Audition oh, and Premiere. Man. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, like they have, some of these people have full teams behind them. It's right. not just oh, yeah. their channel. I would say PewDiePie is almost doing it by himself, which is amazing, I think. Yeah. I've thought about incorporating video at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might just be harder to get guests to to agree to be on video. You know what I mean? But I've, I've definitely considered. I have a camera. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot more effort editing. 
editing video though and mm-hmm. syncing it and, and whatnot. So that's why I haven't just at this point. A live stream like Joe Rogan, I'll watch his live streams on videos and I'm like, what the why do I love images so much? Because I think there really is an infatuation with images in our yeah. culture that I'm like, oh, it's literally them sitting down and like really the best thing I can hope for is they laugh really hard and I see them <laughs> put their head back and st- like as to just listening to the podcast on iTunes. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, what do they say? So much of our communication is nonverbal. So mm-hmm. I think maybe that's what it is, is being able to see facial expressions and things like that, that you're missing out on with just the audio. I agree. There's a great book. One of my, my, probably my favorite author is Malcolm Gladwell. And a book he writes about that is Blink, which is how like 90% of the judgment of the summation is within the first nanosecond. Like your brain just goes through this process of judging good, bad, evil, stay with, lover, maker, usually within the first like nanosecond of seeing somebody like before you even hear them say hello, like good leader, follower, whatever. Interesting. And I found that fascinating because he talked about how some people have certain physical features that they're just short it's just hard to overcome that but people have so i find i find this book interesting because it's a lot of social science um have you tried i listened it was listening to some of your episodes and do you have a patreon page as well or have you really that's do you fuck with patreon fuck with that too much slash cycle warfare there are no one no donors <laughs> i don't expect anyone listening <laughs> this to donate but i i have some ideas i'm going to start doing some videos in the next month just to try to get some donations just like you said, like I was talking to my, I went back home for Thanksgiving, so I saw my friends. I hang out with my friends more than my family, sadly. But yeah, I'm I kind was, of the same way. I was talking to them, and like they have the same boring jobs. Like they work at Capital One. I'm not going to say their names, but like they get, they you know they make the money, they afford whatever their housing and their apartment, and they can do all the nice things and a trip to Australia if they save up or whatever. But like. At the end of the day, you just get like a two-week vacation for a fifty-week <laughs> slave inducement. <laughs> right? Don't you love when I say these words? But <laughs> something I think of, something I guess I think about a lot now is so we're supposed to have a democracy, right? We're supposed to have like, which is like to promote equality, but our economic system is completely hierarchical. It's completely based on inequality, and I don't think people really think of that basic notion enough. To see that it's like, oh, well, you work you work for the corporation, and obviously, if you're lower on the ladder, the boss makes more money from the, from you. And in that system, that's totally valid. When a democracy, that's not valid. If the black guy can't vote, that's not cool. You know, if if you want to get a pure democracy, right? It's like a pure <laughs> capitalism. Whereas, like, in sorry, just to bring this home, and I was thinking about this today, is like, I think, at least on a a little mental level, it helps. Um, continue some some little things in society like why women are not paid as much as men because there really could be a thing like you haven't put in the work like you're not Bill Gates like just as a man to man thing like why don't you get paid as much as your boss well he works harder than you he's put in the work or whatever they tell you right and so I think that also leaches onto the other the uh, what I'm saying is the inequality generated in capitalism filters out into how you see life Oh, absolutely. I I started off last podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with the, uh, he's kind of a, I guess he's a post-Marxist, like a Zizek. Are okay. you familiar? I'm not. So he talks about eating out of the trash can of ideology. And 
effectively what I'm doing is that I am always eating out of this trash can of ideology and the central thesis kind of being that the the logic of capitalism, the ideology has permeated everything in our daily lives and so that we are so immersed within it like a fish in the ocean that we cannot see mm-hmm. the environment that we swim in, yet we are very much immersed and controlled by the ability of what we can think and how we think about our our lives on a daily basis. And I think that's sort of what you're getting at is this, you know, this appeal to market economics being the, the end-all be-all of Western civilization and that, you know, being a sort of an end to history in itself when I don't think that's that's really the case. I think we're obviously seeing the, the kind of... Um, the tremors in that system and the sort of neoliberal consensus that's ruled for the last 30 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. I like the way you said that you took it so ideological because yeah, I agree. Even if you take it from a pure ideological perspective, meaning like you don't cast shadow on anyone. You don't say like, Oh, the Clintons are bad or you don't put it on an individual level. You take it pure ideologically that like, okay, obviously we have a paradox here. Obviously we have an economic system that preaches inequality and, a political system that preaches equality, but well, we have the, <laughs> we have the economic system that preaches equality and and opportunity, and we have an econ- we have a political system that also pre. But those two things are sort of diametrically opposed in in many regards because if it was a true democracy, if we democratize democratize the workplace, then mm-hmm. I don't think you know that would obviously have a very different impact on our um, economic system mm-hmm. and thus ultimately the culture you know what I mean it's all everything is social ultimately yes no well, you talked about how like the market economy has usurped almost every area of life how we see things and literally that's true in politics with citizens united where money is petitioned the government that's literally what they have ruled that money is free speech which is <laughs> if there's anything more of economics taking over a political system, I, I think that's the definition of that ruling. Yeah, which it, is happening. It's pretty absurd, but I think it even. What's even? I'll illustrate my point to even further. So, I mean, this is kind of a. I don't know. This is maybe a banal a- anecdote, but just I think underscores the point is that even something that's you know appears on its surface to be very subversive, like rap music, for example, mm-hmm. is oftentimes you know it's all about a materialistic, a very like. It's a very, it's like a patriarchal, it's setting up this whole like patriarchy, you know, where the the man, the male rapper is the alpha male. He has access to wealth and resources and women and whatnot. But it's sort of still, you know, all the, all that is really reproducing the, the exact same capitalist system, right? It's like the whole bootstrap Horatio Alger myth, but, but twisted to make it sort of appeal on its surface that it's, not reinforcing the society at large when it really is ultimately. Gosh, you're dropping strong vocab on me here, <laughs> Cooper. No, I completely agree. You mentioned late stage capitalism, and I would think to me that means what Karl Marx said, and that late stage capitalism, unfettered capitalism, commoditizes everything in its path. So everything's for profit. And I think the biggest issue with that is the global warming issue where literally nature is for sale. But like you said, like a rap star, it's essentially like, can I make money off this guy? Yes. Okay, let's give him the lifestyle. Let's make a music video where I'm Snoop Dogg and I have the honeys and I have the hot tub and just like you said. So that's exactly what I think of when I think of late stage capitalism is that it eats itself. 
yeah. as Karl Marx said. And, and definitely even, I've, I think it was like 50 Cent that was talking about how uh, he was like, like the real amount of money that he had was so much less. And like some of this, um, like the the houses and the jewelry and all this stuff was sort of rented. And it was all sort of this mm-hmm. facade, almost like a... Almost like Trump would do. Um, I feel Ty Lopez and, does that too, as well. In many regards, so it's kind of like these these guys will even, you know what I mean. That's also this aspect of like, and I get into this a lot. I've been fascinated, especially with the rise of Trump. With there's a postmodern thinker by the name of Jean Baudrillard that I've been talking about quite a bit lately in the last three or four podcasts. Um, he has a very famous book, Simulacra and Simulation. And so when he goes in to talk about it, it's, it's perfectly aligned with this very heavily mediated society that we're living in that has gone like it's being sped up. It's accelerated even further in the age of social media, mm-hmm. for example. So um, there's different examples of this. One of the best that I was giving to my last couple of guests were that, OK, something like. Um, you know, someone like us growing up now, our first encounter with sexuality would be via Disney like, movie? no, like pornography. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we're <laughs> our first. So we're getting our idea of what sexual intercourse is, is heavily mediated by pornography, which is in its own way, sort of this false so fo- superficial. It's very it's a simulated version of the actual sex act. Right. So it's you're delving into these layers, and I think that there's different stages of simulacra that Baudrillard talks about. He also talks about porn's the best example. I agree with you. <laughs> there's there's other idea uh, illustrations of the concept though that are a little bit somewhat different. I've heard people talk about something like, you know, we have this Im- we have an image of an angel, but an angel doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. There's no real uh, angel for us to base. Okay. Mm-hmm. the images of them off of correct so we just are dealing with a purely simulated image of what an angel is and then like now that becomes reinforced within culture mm-hmm. and it's now you know in many ways it's sort of a real object gotcha that essentially there there is someone who can do no harm uh, j- just in the sense that like so we're not we've lost touch with the real in many okay. ways, completely agree with <laughs> Chris. Because, Hedges, like, someone I listen to calls it the tyranny of the image, essentially. Where when you see Kim Kardashian on a screen, because our brains have not adapted, you cannot tell the difference between Kim Kardashian and your dad. What I mean is, as you watch her more, you feel you know much as much about her as her as your family, as someone close to you, as someone you grew up, someone you kicked the ball with downtown <laughs> in the field. But because your brain can't disturb it like, oh, this is a TV. You don't know this person. You're never going to see this person. They're trying to just sell you something. They're just trying to get theirs and make $60 million. What's what's that gentleman's name? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to write this down. Chris Hedges. Chris Hedges. Two of my, probably my, because we were talking about this earlier off screen, off podcast, but I just read, I'm about to go into a whole thing about one of my favorite uh, political philosophers, which is Sheldon Woolen, who died two years ago, but he wrote, wrote a book uh, called Democracy Incorporated, and I think no, it's called yes, Democracy Incorporated, and it's all about how our whole system has been hijacked by essentially by economic interests, and he goes into how that fuels um, that fuels the military-industrial complex, and that fuels a lot of what the Republican Party does. 
Well, I mean, at this point, it's not even just the Republican Party. It's no, the, he writes about how the Democrats are just as bad. Democrats, certainly. Um, the, w- the way I think of it, I don't know if we, you can go into this too. It's really like they both, on the economic issues, they're exactly the same. So they're both pro-fracking. They're both, except Bernie. Bernie's like the only federal level politician I would get who actually has like a soul. Is <laughs> not bought, essentially, I would say. Maybe Warren. Maybe Tulsi. Pocahontas, you mean? Did you see this? Did you see yes. Trump calling Warren Pocahontas it's, it's, in front of the Indians? So I was home people? with my parents. I was like, home, so uh. I pay attention to the news all the time, too. <laughs> so my whole thing with Trump is I, I never watch CNN. I don't have a TV at home. I just have my computer. So I'm, my dad watches. He actually watches all of them, to be fair to him. I don't know if it's still a waste of time. He watches Fox, MSNBC, CNN. And they all have this this clip on right that's the news of today that he said whatever a a racial slur and what i think about what i can't believe is that how they normalize trump this is my biggest thing with trump what i think the worst thing is just all the stuff that goes behind like the whole point that the epa has been gutted by scott prude and we don't get to do anything about it like that's the worst because like trump is not going to pass anything good i don't know if you disagree with me on that but i i don't think there's a chance in hell that he passes anything that is helpful to the middle class or below could be wrong the only hope for me is infrastructure possibly because he but even that i still think the economic interests while they didn't have controlled him when he was running they have now seized control with tillerson around him with the mercers around him and things like that what was what was i going to say i was going to say that i hate how they normalize him so they talk about this racial slur and they're like, can you believe he did this? And it's like, dude, we have a, we literally have a videotape of him saying he grabs woman by the pussy. And that's not the worst part of that video. <laughs> he says he doesn't even wait, which, which implies <laughs> sexual assault, right? That could be a joke. But when you say you don't even wait, that implies assault. That implies without consent. Anyway, that's, that's the actual most disturbing thing in the video that I think gives all his sexual accusers some viability. I don't, I don't like to focus too much on Trump because, I, completely I mean, agree. he's just a total joke. But I did think that was particularly egregious, sort of just like, oh, God, okay. that's so, it's so, such poor taste. Like, Jesus well, I Christ. I hate how they, they normalize him by giving his tweet stature. So it's like, oh, instead of him holding a press conference and him explaining his tax plan over an hour of questions and answers and, and showing that he has a high detailed knowledge of the tax plan, which I don't think he does. Yeah, he I think it was written know. by Goldman Sachs and, oh, I'm sure. and the top cronies. And I don't know exactly who. But because it, it was shown, I, I was watching an interview of the healthcare plan and even the little questions they got him with healthcare, he knew nothing about the healthcare plan. Like the details. You're talking the healthcare plan. You're talking, this is 100% the economy. Healthcare was 20%. And it should be all government run, in my opinion. But I hate how they normalize him. Like, oh, he tweeted this, so this is an official archive JFK speech. <laughs> like, this this has the same stature as Obama giving a whole speech of something. And I, I don't think Obama did enough to correct our economic situation, but I think Obama was held to a much higher status of he couldn't, he couldn't just – I don't think he ever tweeted out his whole <laughs> political views, and then that was it. No press conference, no talking, no anything. And also, we have the... I don't know if you're paying to the tax cuts, paying attention to the tax cuts. Passively, yeah. But they're not even holding hearings on this. And for, for Obamacare, which is honestly 
sad to say, Obama, the only thing he really got passed, because we don't know if he actually had eight years of a, of a Congress to, to do anything, because the, the Republicans, one, again, like I think both parties are the same on economic issues. So I, I just think the Democrats play the fall guy. Like they play like, oh, man, the big bad right. Republicans couldn't do enough. But it's like, oh, wait, they both go to Goldman Sachs at the end of the day. So like when, yeah. the, when the that's why like. They don't push for Medicare for all. Kind of like the good cop, bad cop. Yeah, like it literally. <laughs> it, to me, it literally is that, and that's why they're made to lose. Like they shouldn't lose a presidential election. Like, l- like just looking at the pure population status, they know, they know when they get their status out. It really wasn't that. Anyway, get into the election because I agree. I don't like to talk about Trump, but I find it fascinating that people think. Sadly, I don't know at the federal level if there's any cure to our political situation because. Both of them collude to stop third parties. The Democrats are made to lose. They're not made to get progressive, which is or socialist. That's and that's the only way I see us getting out of this situation is socialist Paul. If we were going to do it at a political level, socialist policies, because the 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 corporations have amassed so much wealth that we have to we simply say it's like oh yeah you guys have so much wealth we need to take that and give it a little bit to the people. Just like FDR let happen, just to let he did Social Security, and he had a dream for Medicare for all too, and I think that's the only way we can do this at a law level. And I don't know if that can even. I don't know if that can actually happen. I don't know if we can put a Bernie Sanders in there, and they would happen because I think the whole Congress will seize up. Because I think Goldman Sachs, what really represents us in our political system is the Congress. That that's who we elect as. They can pass the laws and they can override the president. I don't know how often that happens in my lifetime. I think it's happened more than in the past. They can do that. That's what Goldman Sachs controls, really. They also control the president. Don't don't get me wrong. With with both of them, Obama, it goes back to Bill Clinton. I was talking about this on the last podcast. But they we don't really understand that. We think Bernie Sanders can get money out of politics. And I'm like, no, they will seize up every congressman they own. All the lobbyists will go crazy if he was able to get in. And I think that's the sad reality of our situation is – America's on a decline, and the corporations are willing to kill, willing to kill the American idea just because they're not privy. They're not um, sorry. They don't follow America. They they don't hold any um, nationalism. They don't hold any uh, ideology towards the country. They just are there to make money, and that's it. Right. And Apple will gladly relocate to the ne- China, the next <laughs> the next economic powerhouse. I think it's interesting, and yes, I, I, Trump is to me a symptom of of a broken system. But what I think is really, and a lot of people are focusing on Trump and like that he's the ultimate problem and evil. But I don't, I don't think so. I think, like I said, he's a symptom of a system that's broken. And how you can sort of interpolate this and do, unpack it is looking at people that have criticized him, like Jeff Flake and Bob Corker, both whom have voted overwhelmingly in favor like something like 95 percent of whatever legislation has whatever you know issues trump they has brought to, to vote on that they've had the opportunity to vote on he's you know they've supported his position so this trump is the essentially that is you know and whatever guys alt right blah 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 you want to refer to him label him as he is ultimately that's a large percentage of the conservative demographic in this country believes in this sort of mm-hmm. this sort of crazy <laughs> system that I don't th- don't think is really serving the citizens as well as it as it could have mm-hmm. and to really change things you know there's got to be fundamental change because it, 
it's not like we can oh yes well next election we can we can ele- vote Bernie Sanders into office well without a groundswell of other you know support in the Congress you'll see he will get very, he would get very little done in terms of legislation just like I mean look at even Trump Trump has historic um, majorities in both houses of Congress still can't even get his you know look at his, how many times have they tried to kill net neutrality how many times have they tried to keep bringing back this fucking Frankenstein um, health care oh, and well the, so there's it's there's a piece of the tax bill that's tied into doing away with the individual mandate I believe for health for health care so mm-hmm. um, they're gonna kill it, we, they're gonna kill they're, it that way they're coming back again it's mm-hmm. like until we until there is a sustained you know until the situation grows bad enough and I hate to be such a cynic but this is also sort of the materialist in me is that until the material material conditions arise in the nation for there to be a uprising there's not going to be until people are just so fucking fed up and it's so bad that there is no alternative but to revolt it's it's simply not going to be an option mm-hmm. you know what i mean because right now we need to be in the streets we need to be mobilized on a on a monthly basis at least there needs to be a show in the very streets that's how you get people's attention as you get out in the streets and you march and you take freedom you don't just wait for you know the <laughs> the Democratic Party for Chuck Schumer to bring you freedom and change because he's not going to fucking do it. I completely agree. That was a great riff. Ben Franklin said the greatest form of patriotism is dissent, and that's what we're going to need. That and what I'm worried about is for my what I look at the system is that they've essentially made it into uh, the. Have you heard of the boiling frog analogy? Oh yeah, absolutely. They've I, essentially made the system into that, like. How bad is it? Like 50% of the country makes less than $30,000. They, I was reading this article. It came, oh gosh, what was it? They found out that more than 3,000 cities in America have as much pollution, have as much lead in their water as Flint, Michigan. What was it? Oh gosh, it was this, it was this um, nonprofit news outlet, but they do like the 20 biggest news stories of 2016. And that was the biggest one that 3,000 cities had as much or more lead pollution than Flint, Michigan. And so what I'm saying is it's almost like that famous Holocaust quote where it's like, first they came for the Jews, I did nothing. First they came for the gypsies, I did nothing. And then they came for me and no one was there, blah, blah, blah. I don't know the full quote. And I think that's what's happening, sadly. And I think they, the system is – I hate to say it, but the system is almost so evil and so good that it works that way. And I don't, I don't know if we'll get a revolution. Like they had a signature Boston Tea Party movement. And we've had events like Occupy, and I was—I'm right. hoping for an Occupy Part Two, though. I'm still hopeful, like you said. But my analysis of the system is like, man, they really do have good control of the system. When you watch it, like how again we don't have, our political situation is apolitical, right? So we don't talk about politics. We talk about the Pocahontas racial slur. That's why I think why we don't talk about Trump. We shouldn't. He is the perfect embodiment of what our system actually is. Absolutely. So if anything, he should be a calling to rethink society. And I think that's happened. I don't know if it will be enough. Yeah. I, is it too late is the thing. Yeah. Well, I think I think the real the real calling that will never actually be established is that we cannot vote our way out of this. Yeah. Like you cannot vote against Goldman Sachs, Raytheon, ExxonMobil. <laughs> and the weird thing that, you know, I think the sad thing is we've had these problems in other societies before. Chris Hedges, he's this foreign co- correspondent who's 
looked, he's been in other totalitarian countries. The climate change issue is a real, and I've had this on, a, I've had other podcasts about this, and I think most of my podcasts will be about this now. It's the only thing that sets a time limit on the issue, in my opinion, where it's we're like, I know Sally with Flint, Michigan, like those people have to die, but if we don't take care of the climate change issue, it's over. Like everything's dying. It's not, and it's not, people really misunderstand the climate issue, and I didn't understand it until a year ago. It's that what really is going to happen is we have a fragile society. What I mean by that is when climate change in increases drought, that's everything. When we don't have water, who gives a shit if you have 12 MacBooks, if you have a TV? You, when you don't, water is the, we also need air, which climate change, that would be the late stage of climate change is the air won't even be breathable. If the methane from the Arctic melts, most people aren't aware of that problem. But when we have the droughts, people think, oh, Florida's going to be gone. That's what I hate. The only thing that's discussed in the, in the media, I'm going everywhere, is that, <laughs> oh, the sea level rise. No, dude, we're going to have droughts and everyone's going to be a Syrian. Everyone's going to have to move because of climate change. Everyone's going to be a refugee when there's not enough water. And when there's not enough resources, we've never had a guy, another guy, follow Peter Joseph, who did the Zeitgeist movies. He says, we've never had a resource war. We've only had trade wars, really for Vietnam, for World War II, like, oh, why are we going to help them? Why does the United States help Europe? Because we trade with them. We've never had a true, like, hey, if you win this war, I die. I die because I won't have water because you won the water. We've never had a true resource war, which is what the final conclusion, late stages of capitalism, but the late stages of climate change is going to conclude. And the sad thing is the way the system works is the way ExxonMobil found in the 70s. And ExxonMobil figured out before James Hansen and the, and the guys who champion climate change do now is that the system is characterized by its late, it's a delayed response mechanism. So all the CO2 you put in the air, you're doing the work for the drought. It just happens 10 years later. That's the signature function of the system. It's delayed response. The ice caps just take a little while, but it, you're putting in the work now to kill us all later. And that's the thing, the saddest thing about Trump, because we don't get back the four years of no climate change. Actually, it's worse, right? It's it's, it's accelerated. Fracking is terrible because fracking releases methane. And methane, why I brought up methane, is that methane is 80 times worse than carbon dioxide over an 80-year period. So when people talk about, they don't understand the methane problem. And methane is, we do these things to accelerate methane. And that's beyond, it's the worst thing you can do to the planet, fracking, essentially. I think something like, uh, I'm pretty sure the majority of Venus's um, atmosphere is comprised of methane, mm -hmm. which is so. I think Venus at one time was actually livable, and then experienced basically what this whole process would would look like. You know, at, at sort of the end stages, as we would end up uh, like Venus, where it's you know just impossible to for life to sustain itself. Yeah, Venus is like 700 degrees. But what what I think is crazy about the climate debate, and it's you know, I think it's it's difficult for people to grasp the sort of concepts that you're talking about. And also, you know, I've had a glaciologist on the podcast to come and discuss these things. And when I was researching things like sea level rise, it's, it, there's so much variance because it also depends on like there can be up geologic up uplift whenever just due, just due to like geologic forces or something like um, if there's a island that has had a glacier over the top of it, once the glacier melts, that area will actually experiment, experience an uplift because the weight 
the tremendous weight of the glacier is gone, things like that. So there can be variation across the globe that may, but you know what I mean? It's so it's difficult. It's not an easy thing. It's not like mm-hmm. measuring the water in your tub necessarily. Cooper, I, com- I completely agree with you. And don't you love it when two scientists, these guys aren't scientists, they're talking about climate change. What we essentially have here, I think, for anyone who isn't a scientist, is we have what smoking was in the 50s and 40s, I believe. So it took, there were all these lawsuits and there was these huge debates if smoking caused cancer. And right now it's labeled as the number one preventable cause of death in the world. And essentially it was found out 20 years later when finally the lawsuits were won that, oh, they the, the smoking companies knew better than the people charging, you know, fighting against them. Just like it was proven ExxonMobil knew about climate change before James Hansen who's the guy who studied Venus, like you said. That's how the original guy who um, testified in Congress, he was looking at Venus and was like, what What the hell, our climate is starting to look a little bit like Venus, like you said, like we're starting to have all that methane in the air. And so they, the, the smart guys are doing the smoking playbook. There's a great documentary anyone should watch, which is The Merchants of Doubt, which is about how the smoking playbook is used for GMOs. It's used for climate change. So they don't want, it's not about the science. Science is about proving fact or fiction, essentially. It's about the confusion. It's about, like you just said, it's about like, oh, there's an island here and you may actually have an uplift or you may have this. It's just like smoking. Like, oh, he was unhealthy. Like, uh, he's fat. He's eating french fries. Of course he's going to get a heart attack. Of course he's got lung cancer, right? So that's the game that's being played here. It's just literally, in this case, a crime against humanity, crime against this whole earth because it's going, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think we're going to, the next 20 years, like, is going to seal the fate of Earth. <laughs> I really think that. That's how, be, my well, parents listen to my podcast and they think I'm crazy. It'll I, be more like the, you know, human's ability to survive on Earth. I don't think Earth is going anywhere for a while. And even humans, I don't right. think, are necessarily going to go anywhere on verging on extinction for some time. I think we're pretty adaptable as a species. Um, it's just if we I think can have can civilization. Be, yeah, exactly. C- civilization at this scale, I mean, I think, yeah, there's, unless there's some type of major te- technological advancement in the way of energy, I just don't think we're going to be able to sustain this level of consumption. You brought up a good point. So I was watching a climate change podcast, and they calculated that our rate of consumption right now is that of if we had 1.7 Earths. And we're on scale to hit uh, two by twenty third. It's it's like it's a little exponential. It's a little. It's not linear. So we already use more than we take. One point seven. So that's insane. By twenty fifty, this is in Peter Joseph's movie. There'll be more plastic in the ocean by weight than fish. Jesus, that's a st- <laughs> that's a startling statistic. <laughs> And plastic, plastic does disintegrate. I just think it takes a million years. The only thing that doesn't disintegrate is styrofoam. But what's happening with the plastic is when it does disintegrate, it gets into these little pieces, and they believe the fish are eating them. And so when you eat the fish, you're eating a good amount of plastic now, which is sad. Right. You know, I'm curious. I wonder if there's been any research on – because it seems like whenever the dollar was decoupled from, like, the gold standard – and we were able to use fiat currency completely. I wonder if there's any relationship between that and sort of this, you know what I mean? If, if money and monetary policy isn't really based in a, in a, in an actual physical 
good or what have you, then, you know, how do, how does that play into resource extraction? So I'm not an economist, but I, from my understanding of the gold standard, first of all, when I learned about the Federal Reserve and the fact that we used to have some standard and that we're off that, it blew my mind because I went through all of school not learning that. And to me, like all of school, why do you go to school to get a job to make the money, to, to get the girl, to get the picket fence, to get the two chickens in the pot? And it's like, <laughs> wait, there's this organization that just prints the money and that used to not happen. And like we all just walk around and then the, there's this thing called inflation, right? So if, if they can just print money without tying it to anything, because Cooper, the way I understand it is when you tie it to a good – no one can can i cuss on this show yeah absolutely. no one no one can fuck with that nobody like if i say okay this is gold i can't just print as much money as i want the price is worth gold and i think what that does is essentially it does what we need and what we need is it represents our finite world so there's right. only a finite amount of gold so bitcoin has a set limit yeah bitcoin caps out of right. 21 million and obviously we haven't i don't know if there's way more gold than we've ever found out because you maybe you got to go 10 way below the mantle or something but you represent the finite world so as that gold finite sorry as that gold resource increases the amount of bread hopefully whatever resources your economy is going after also increase and obviously i think maybe not at all times but on average over maybe a thousand years gold will have you know you won't be able to find gold for a while and then bread will go up but then bread will go down and you'll find gold and stuff like that so i think Again, if we survive the climate crisis, what's going to emerge is the solution to what you're saying is a resource-based economy, where we, which essentially is we live in a finite world. That is our chief belief, and we need to account for everything that is finite and understand what we do in a finite world. Because right now, our system, we don't even it's – it's, it's never talked about, but it's implied. It's unlimited growth. Yeah, absolutely. You can have Always. as many cars as you want. Literally, I mean, and that's what – I think the Snoop Dogg, while it doesn't say it further, that's what that lifestyle implies when you watch those rap videos. You can have literally all the chicks, literally more than the video just has them coming in at will, right? You can have three planes. You can literally, I mean, does Donald Trump not represent what I just said, what I just said perfectly? And so uh, another great book called, it's Peter Joseph's book, but he talks about in his three movies, the Zeitgeist movies, the third one's the best. The first one is a, is conspiracy, literally conspiracies. We just talks about events he believes are um, misinterpreted by history. But the next two are how he thinks the world should look. And if we survive the climate crisis, if it kills like a billion of us, that's that's what's going to have to happen. Because we've already mistreated the environment so much that we're just going to, like, the, the fact that some basis assumptions are not even challenged really worries me in our society. And Socrates, Socrates had this great quote in a book I read that democracy requires leisure time. And so that's so true in that you need time to think. You need the time, time to think where society is going. And so when the economic system has held you captive to make life so fragile that if you miss a paycheck, he put it such a great way, Sheldon Woolen. He put it in a way we can't even afford to vote on a holiday. <laughs> right. Isn't that amazing for democracy? Like, talk about com democracy and capitalism coexisting. We don't even vote on a holiday. That's ins. I, I can't even tell you how un, you know, undemocratic that would be. Small d democratic. But it's so true that we don't even think about where we're going because we're so captive to 
getting a job, getting the next dollar. What I think is kind of more central, I mean, to go back to the idea of basing our currency value on a physical good. So there were a lot of arguments, I think, it was either it was like the latter half of the 19th century. You had the may have been even the early 20th century. The gold bugs and the silver bugs, and there was like a whole war mm-hmm. about that. And you know, those basing things on on either or any really phys- physical good is, you know, it's it's maybe not the best structure for our, our global economy and the speed at which capital moves across the globe and such. But it definitely like I th- I think this it's like the amount of consumption that we're espousing and that's per- perpetuating the system, you know what I mean? It's not making us happier. It's not making us live better lives. It's not leading anywhere necessarily positive, right? Like we have all these technological advances, but people are still generally fucking, you know, it's like there's depression, there's people are on it's even- addicted to opioids, they're shooting up concerts, they're shooting up, um, churches, you know what I mean? Obviously, there is there's a deeply flawed, you know, piece of the puzzle that isn't being necessarily addressed. It's like this GDP model of growth, 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 without any kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, moderating force in terms of what actually produces a good and happy society. Ultimately, no, I completely agree that. I guess the way I see it, you, you put your growth, but the fact that at the end of the day, you made a dollar, whereas yesterday you would have not made a dollar in that area, that you have somehow like benefited society is insane. It's that, you know, you've grown and by growth, you mean your GDP has gone up, right? Right. Because growth, you can grow happiness, you can grow your family, but when you- Economic I, growth. Yeah, yeah. It's economic, it's capitalism. Yeah, growth of wealth. The market economy. Yeah. And how do you define wealth? I think we only define wealth in dollars. Because like I said, you can, I think you can watch a movie with your girlfriend and laugh and cry and... um, That has value, right? I think that has value. Well, that's, again, back to the resource-based economy. One of its other chief tenets is everything has value. So that tree outside is for everyone and why you would share things. Because that tree is for your grandchildren. Because that tree produces oxygen. That's fucking important. I think we all die if all those trees are gone. So that's just the thing. Like we can, we can't have as much paper. That just, I think again, I think it's the worst in the climate crisis. But I think you can take it to anything. We can't have all the paper, whatever. We we can't chop down all the trees. Literally, we'll all die. Like we are held to water, and I think that's what the climate change crisis really is going to bring. Chiefly, we need water. We need certain things. Now, I would like nature to also have what it needs, and we're even taking that away from it currently. But even at a basic level, to not represent that, they'll be like, hey, if you kill all the fishies, we can no longer eat, and we want to survive another billion years. And the fact that, like you said, why I like podcasts, back to that (laughs) question, is like the Joe Rogan format, we can talk for an hour and really dissect that. And I think there really is an audience for that. I'm not some social media mogul, but people who really like to think of the bigger questions and like I said, and what it really means, I think the question of our time, again, I, I bring up Sheldon Woolen again because I think he's so good, is can can capitalism and democracy coexist? And this project, the current project we're in, is a complete and utter failure. And sadly, in the system we live in, it's about incremental change, and we need the whole constitution thrown out, essentially. We need no ability for economic interests to take over our political system. 
uh, at all costs. And the, Ben Shapiro, I think, said this on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I agree with him, even though I don't agree with a lot of his policies, is that uh, federal, the federal government is made for gridlock. Like, it's made, you only get something passed if there's insane. Yeah, a giant majority. There's a giant majority for it, just like you said, where he, he owns everything. He owns Supreme Court. Like, we should just be living under Donald Trump's tyranny all the time. He should be passing a law every day. But even, and obviously, Obama, it's the same thing. So now, really, the sad thing is what happened to Obama is just happening to Trump. Suck it up, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Even though he's repealing all his, he's repealing a lot of Obama stuff with executive orders. <laughs> but, it's it's the truth in that, and we we need fast change. And there's also this dynamic is kind of I don't really. This is just an ideological thing. I would see it is that if you're a politician, you just want to get stuff done in your term. So you don't want to make any long term investments. Well, like if you can do a short term game over a huge long term investment, I think you would take the short term game from just a human point of view of oh, it's going to be on my resume. Like, if you invest in the space program and that spaceship gets there in 50 years, we got to space in nine years. It's fucking amazing what we can do when we <laughs> get on it. Like, the climate issue, that's why I still hold hope because it's like, damn, when in the times when World War II and the moon, it's less than a decade. That was five years, World War II. Moon was nine years. Like, we, we can go. It's just been so long. That's why I think we're fucked. Like, I read this stuff in the history books. I haven't seen this myself. Like, we, we've been able to do change. And, um, yeah, our whole we've dealt our system where we can't incrementally get out of this. I think at least FDR, as bad as that was, and apparently the Great Depression was worse economically, inc incremental reform still worked. And I don't know if that's true right now. What do you think? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a double-edged sword because, yes, like the gridlock in Washington is, I mean, it's by design. Mm -hmm. And I think... Kind of, you got to hand it to the founders as as uh, as stuck on the enlightenment that they were that that was the best system. I mean, it definitely moderates a lot of radical swings back and forth. But you know, like your to your point, you know, we need responsive. We need to respond. We need responsive change, and and the system certainly isn't set up to accommodate the type of change that we need at, at this point. And that's what I'm going back to say that like until the material conditions arise for there to be a revolution or for there to be whatever the next stage is, until those conditions are are ripe, it's just simply not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's not about it's not about individuals. It's not about voting for Trump or for Bernie or anything. Is it's not as simple as we. I mean, we have to fundamentally rebuild our society, restructure our values in a way that promotes, you know what I mean? Like there has to be a check on the unrestrained freedom of the individual. I mean, we simply cannot, you know what I mean? It'd be nice mm -hmm. if we, everyone had the ability to do whatever the fuck they want without impacting mm -hmm. one another, but that's simply not the, you know, a realistic picture of the world that we live in. Everything is social. Um, consumption is yeah. obviously a social thing production is completely socialized and yet all the rewards go to a small handful of people at the Thanks. top and just to really drag bring that point home let me give you the example of a film i mean i went and saw justice league last night and i'm sitting there waiting for the fucking post-credit scene there were two of them 
<laughs> to go. And I'm like fucking waiting. And there's like hundreds and hundreds of people that just did the special effects on the fucking movie. And so can you really, and I also read this in a, in a book about postmodern and that was kind of the point is like, how, how can you really say that one person produced a film? You know what I mean? How can you say that Zack Snyder, this is Zack Snyder's movie, when there's literally fucking hundreds of people that were involved? It is a completely social process. So it's like, it's kind of this bullshit that one person gets to, you know, reap all of the rewards when this is a completely social process on both ends, not only the production end, but the consumption. It's like, if nobody can afford your to see your movie, then you're not going to make much money are you and if (laughs) if nobody works on your movie that's even a better way of putting it you're not going to have a movie so you know we need to recognize that i think there needs to be a recognition of that i think they're also from the perspective of sort of the anarchists and that's sort of where i fall in line when it comes to politics i would say anarcho-communist or or, uh, excuse me libertarian socialist because it's like yes i i definitely feel like the the free market can be just as tyrannical as the state and vice versa the state any kind of hierarchy can exploit people right doesn't matter whether that's good, it's that's a good way of putting it. you voted for them or um or you voted with your pocketbook so to speak you know what i mean so you know we've all stood on the shoulders of giants in terms of the people that have come before us in 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 the world right like we wouldn't have we wouldn't have um, algebra without the Arab contributions. We wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have fucking, uh, what is it, calculus without Newton, right? But, um, and I've used this example so many times, it's like, if if Newton came out with his, you know, Principi- Principica Mathematica today, like, it, you'd have to use a license or something, or you'd have to ba- pay him a, like, license to use that, and be like, oh, that's our intellectual property. We, we talked about this last and time that, with, right? Jonas, yeah, with exactly. Jonas Salk. Like Jonas Salk would be, I don't know what year he came about. Was he a century ago? Was he 50 years ago? But he early, would be laughing. Early like, 20th century. Like, Where's the patent on your, he cured right? polio for anyone fucking, listening. We talk, yeah, because Screlly, <laughs> old Martin Screlly would buy up the fucking, would somehow get his. He would buy the patent from somehow. him. And, and polio, like, oh, you want to save uh, polio? It's like You want to be cured? I got, you got to pay me. You got to pay me, bruh. But yeah, I think I think Newton said that quote, the stand on giants quote. He's like, I only said that. But I agree. It's like Einstein, just, like if you take physics now, you get the start. Newton, you get the start where Newton plus Einstein plus all the people I don't even know yeah, exactly. who contributed left off, accumulated, written down for you. Someone written in a book for you. Somebody made videos of it on YouTube for you. And you just get to go, oh, thank you for the number system. Thank you for zero. Like, just the invention of zero is insane to me. Like, the fact that who, who did... Like, the invention of nothing. Like, you would define, like, this is what nothing represents. Like, I, I think when I started learning math, like, I agree. The more you get into physics, you just respect these people. I was, like... And I, I bet you Einstein had helped, too. Or at least some help, like, you know, Newton... In a way, like Newton, the, the funny story is, right, he gets hit by an apple. Like, where does that apple come from? That was just given for free, <laughs> even to take it to a more of an ex- existential level. Like, right, like he didn't invent a tree. We didn't. We weren't there when millions of years when this stuff evolved, if you believe in that. <laughs> and, right? And what was I going to say is that, you know, we, we don't really even talk about that. Margaret Thatcher is famous for the quote, there are no such thing as communities, there are only individuals, which I still think resides in our society today, right? Thatcher was the UK Prime Minister when Reagan was in 
in the time. I didn't live through the Reagan years. Uh, my parents tell me they well, they they didn't like it because they were liberals. I definitely but, did, but I don't okay. remember anything other yeah, than I you, were young. I, you know, I can do a little bit of a Ronnie Reagan or oh, if the government gets their hands on your health care. Oh, Nancy. What did he say? The government? The government. Well, is, I don't know what he sounds like. What the government? I went to his funeral. Oh, yeah, Nancy. He's got, he kind of talks. He's got a little bit of a whispery voice. Yeah. And he would say things like, oh, you know, if the government gets their, uh, I'm fucking slipping into an Irish it's, accent, the, as the, I always do. His famous but quote is. <laughs> he's actually, if it, you look this up, so next time you're on YouTube, look up. He's got a whole fucking, like, expose not an expose but he goes on this whole rant against socialized medicine and the evils of socialized God medicine damn liberals it's really fucking funny and i honestly want to like take that and like chop it up and make put it in like a rap <laughs> a rap song or like something i want to i want to do something with it i've been wanting to do something with that for a long fucking time like put it to a beat and maybe edit it to where he says crazy shit it's amazing to me i guess i'm so left <laughs> That it's amazing to me people idolize Ronald Reagan like they think he's the second coming of Jesus Christ when I hear that on TV. Because to me, like, things like healthcare and the environment, there's no, there should be no profit motive in those things too. Like, you shouldn't be able to hold someone captive because they don't have enough money or else you're not going to get cured the disease. Because obviously there's human incentives where you're going to dole out all the cash because you're going to die in some cases. Not all the cases, but, you know, you're going to get really sick unless you fix this situation with your money right now. And that's why I think it... Maybe not. It, maybe it doesn't have to be state run, but it has to be collectively run by everyone to make sure nobody's taking advantage of one another. And a private industry, the point of a private industry is to take advantage of you, is to find the to make the most money by doing the less. So, like you know, and um, this this goes into some other things like planned obsolescence, which I believe, which Peter Joseph again talks about, which is I think a product of capitalism where. Do you want me to explain this concept? I, I don't know. We I, I don't think else. you need to get too far okay. into it. But essentially, I think you're making. I mean, you're absolutely right, and it definitely ties back into the resources. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? That's like things aren't built to last, so we. Yeah. You know, what I mean that that's fueling consumption. There's also other insid more insidious needs. It's the worst in the drug industry. It's like, but I it's, would I would argue okay. This is just kind of a feature of capitalism itself, and like it always has to create new markets. It always has to create new wants, right? I compl I'm, I'm pointing at him in the podcast because <laughs> I think he's so right. So you're, I would argue this, that even not as an economist, your problem is not to solve problems. People say that, oh, solve a problem because I, I went to college for software and like it's the whole entrepreneurship thing where Bill Gates gets up and says, you want to be rich? Solve a problem. No, wrong. You want to profit off a problem. If yeah, something right. came along like Jonas Salk and said, oh, I have a total solution and it costs like nothing. I don't know if it costs a lot to make the polio vaccine, but a complete solution. There's no profit motive in this industry because it's solved. You would, you, would, you would be inclined to subvert, to stop that solution because you're, you want to profit off a problem. You never want to solve the problem in a way that would stop, halt your profits. Yeah. I don't, and again, th those logical conclusions that, oh, the corporations are there to solve problems. No, they're there to profit. That is your only goal as a corporation is to make money. Now, how the system should work is we have a democracy on top of capitalism, which I believe we do not. We have a, <laughs> we have a capitalism on top of a democracy where you say, oh, we're going to regulate the banks. So through these regulations, we create a tunnel. And through that tunnel, they can only do good things for you. They won't pollute the lake. They won't crash the economy because they own the government. So the government bails them out through, with our taxpayer dollars, which is, if you haven't seen the big short, it, 
it's a great movie, and it explains what the fuck really happened, which is the banks control the Senate, the Congress, which I think really proves the point. If if people don't think uh, Con- Set- Goldman Sachs owns the Senate, 2008 all day, I can't even. It's the most in- grotesque example of them owning Congress that they would do that because they knew they knew that would happen. So. That's one thing that kind of drives me crazy about it. Uh, I think one of the arch villains in society today would be a uh, Steve Bannon. And I mean, Bannon, who is supposedly, you know, the, the mouthpiece for the, uh, I don't know if the alt-right or I, I don't even know if he's a Randian, but it's like, he definitely worked. He absolutely worked at Goldman's, you know, and he worked at Goldman Sachs. Oh, like he's anti-establishment. He's, he's one of, right? yeah. Is, is like that, he's, anti-establishment, he's, he's but... an, like, I don't understand how that even works. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, isn't it? Dude, Trump branded himself back as anti-establishment, right? Hillary was the establishment. It's like the way I saw it, again, if you took a big picture, is Hillary's corrupt. Clinton Foundation, she takes uh, a lot of money from big oil execs at the very least. And again, there, the, the whole thing is the right, I think, populates it a lot of with like ill stuff like she's killed people, which I don't think is true. But I simply think the Clinton Foundation is the way she funnels money from her donors. I think it's just I think it's just simple. Matter of fact, you can look at it. But so Clinton's corrupt. He he brands her as corrupt Trump. Who's Trump? Trump is the corrupter. No one ever <laughs> makes that. No one ever says that though. It's like, how do you get corrupt? You get corrupted by somebody. So, something has to corrupt you. And he's the corrupter. And he literally says, "I give money to all these people on in the debates, except Bernie Sanders." That's why Bernie Sanders would have trashed him because he's the only one who's not corrupt. I don't know. I, I'm less optimistic at, at Bernie's chances, but I mean, may, perhaps now in their reaction to Trump, there may be a. a a certain portion of, I mean, we may be able to get a coalition that okay. can win a president doesn't uh, win a presidential election, but again, we're stuck with Congress and, and gridlock. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's a, a lot of hope for things to, unless till there's a fundamental change and people are really pissed off and things have gotten so bad that people are ready to march in the streets. And then at that point, that's, that's when we can have I agree. some substantive actual change occur. Do you agree that I agree that we're too fascinated with Obama, the Trump, the Clinton. Yeah, the it's Bush. like there's going to be one man that's going to yeah, just no. like the fucking Lone Ranger. Well, it's going to write up. It's no. going to take we all of us, yeah. all every fucking person has got to band together and we've got to put some fucking work in. And that's the thing about capitalism is it the seductive logic of capitalism makes you feel like someone else can fucking like it's like uh Indivi- someone else it's individualism. Someone else will take care of that. You know what I mean? It's no like we you have to take some fucking agency. That's what it means to live in a democracy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, you know, freedom is responsibility, you know? Mm-hmm. We all have a responsibility to one another as social beings, as human beings, like, to look out for one another, mm-hmm. right? I mean, whenever things get rough, you know, we're supposed to look out for one another. And did, I don't know if you saw the, like, Emmanuel Macron uh, speaking to the the Moroccan uh, young lady, I think it was yesterday or the day before, you know, telling her, you know, we don't have job, we don't have enough jobs in France. You're gonna have to stay in Morocco, mm-hmm. right? It's like that's that's, and this is the centrist candidate. I would consider, that, I would consider him a neoliberal. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah centrist. exactly. Versus like, you know, what's important? It's not this made up bullshit capitalist system isn't what's important if it's fucking killing people it's not imp- it's not important to preserve if people are suffering if people are not getting their needs met if people are 
doing opioids to get through the day. You know what I mean? Because you make money. Are, oh my God, they make money off that industry. Why do you think we have an opioid crisis? Because right? it's somebody's. somebody's it's not from the it. flaw. It's the feature. Yeah, absolutely. Like smoking. Smoking is not the bug; it's the feature. Flint, Michigan, is not creating, the bug; and, it's the feature. Yes, and that that goes back to that idea of creating new wants and needs, and creating new markets. Is like this: the cigarette smoking is a pr- prime example of capitalism creating a need that <laughs> will fucking kill you, but yeah. oh, we can profit off of it. It's like, and whenever you extract that to things like, let me give you an ex- this example, um, so. In terms of what's valuable in society, right? So there are things that you can profit off, but there are also there are things that are valuable that are that you cannot profit off of nature necessarily, right? Like if you and I go and we go to the green belt and we pick up trash, that we're providing a value. We're providing a valuable service. I would say so. But is it profitable? No, it's not profitable. Mm-hmm. And whenever your entire culture and society are driven around creating profit at the expense of all else if that is your guiding light is yeah. profit then obviously you will wind up in a very fucked up place and that's where we are and that's why we ultimately have trump because this, oh, <laughs> you know what i mean i so agree with you that our culture represents trump that like i don't know if it's a fact that your system will automate where Whatever your system is, the people who will come to represent the system will ultimately be the underlying principles of your system. So if you have a system that personifies individualism, uh, greed, <laughs> uh, lying, lying to get whatever you want, then ultimately you will have a Trump. Like Trump idolizes our system currently. I think that's so – it's almost so – like it's so perfect it's laughable. Like it literally is that a celebrity team oh, yeah. star is – the king it's so it's so ridiculous that you can't even parody it it's beyond it's it's beyond our ability to even make fun of it's that ridiculous it's um i would encourage you to to look into jean baudrillard's work uh, particularly simulacra and simulation because he talks about so much of this um this sort of hyper real soup of information it's like there's information overload is the is the tactic mm-hmm. in our world for causing, I guess, what's just causing like causing an, you know what I mean, like attenuating revolutionary spirit or what have you. It's like there's so much information, like you can't, you don't have time to make heads or tails of anything that's coming at you because there's just so many messages, and there's so much information, mm-hmm. and there's more, and like there's mm-hmm. such a there's a whole cottage industry of commenting on what people are commenting, and I mean even though we are both guilty of that as podcasters. Like we have, like we comment on what pe- other people are yes. commenting on and what they, they're commenting on what someone else is commenting. So it's like this whole hyper real fucking simulated soup of communication that we're living in. So yes, no, I agree is we add more to that, that pile, but I completely <laughs> agree. You mentioned hyper normalization, right? Uh, hi- hyper reality, hyper reality where Essentially, like, what do you get on Twitter? So Twitter, if you have a Twitter, it's just every tweet is a completely different reality. It's a completely different comment on the day or article pointing to somebody's news who's trying to get clicks. And another huge thing we have to go through is for-profit media. So for-profit media isn't concerned with the truth, isn't concerned with with uh, informing the public. And like I said, I think it's much it's a much more deeper situation where we need an ideological shift. Like Socrates was talking about where 
everyone just needs to think about what does a democracy actually mean? To me, it means that that guy on the street eating trash out of a trash can, homeless, means as much to you because he has one vote as you do with your nice little Mac laptop and iPhone. Not the fact that, you know, you own a company and not. He's much as responsible to this earth as Bill Gates. But we have for-profit media, so they do click. So that's why you get, you know, Katy Perry has 100 million followers and a lot of pictures, you know, are sexual and seductive and she makes these alluring music videos. And they all do it because that's the game you have to play, right? for sure. And I don't even think... People, and obviously Trump, I think, I don't give Trump much IQ credit, but he understands the media because he's a product of the media. Like he knows if he gets social media attention, he really understands no press is bad press because guess what? I'll just say something dumber the next news cycle. That's why if you remember the pussy tape, it was the pussy tape and then the, then the debates. And then after the debate happened. It was like three days. I don't know what the label was. No one was talking about the pussy tape anymore, in my opinion. It wasn't the big issue, like the issue that should have ended his campaign, (laughs) if you ask me. It's just that he understands the hyper-realities that, oh, just call someone a faggot the next day. (laughs) Sorry, I had to say that. Just call, you know, make a racist comment about Obama. You know, he really understands that. And we still play his game. That's what I'm that's the only IQ I give him is he really does understand the press. He understands that Twitter has this unique power and that he can change the conversation on a dime. We let him control our minds from his bathroom if he tweets in his bathroom. I don't know when he where and when he <laughs> actually tweets, but literally that's what we let him do. And it's amazing how much we're stuck on his stupid. So that's the only credit I give him. And I think I don't I think he's so dumb like mentally that he does understand what's going on. It's just this is him. Like he literally embodies the media, like the the um the vapidness of our culture. And so he knows how to accelerate that because that's the only thing he's profited off of. He hasn't made money off his banks, off sorry, off his uh casinos. He went bankrupt four times. Right. L- literally. Like he's never made good economical decisions. Now you could and again, I think a lot of economical decisions is just taking advantage of people in China or doing stuff like that. But he's never even done what Bill Gates has done, which actually is really grow a business he inherited like 100 million dollars and if you had 100 million dollars whenever he got in the 70s in the stock market that's that's pay to play like you're just winning at will and he obviously does the apprentice like that's his his only real success sorry went on this huge tirade (laughs) this is my podcast you can sign this because of that is the apprentice and what's the apprentice it's tv reality uh, tv reality tv which is what he's made the presidency quote unquote reality well i think the presidency was already the biggest reality show in history yes. or on, on the planet. And now it's, it's, gone, truly. it's gone even further. Like it's gone another level down into the simulation with, with Trump as the social, as the fucking reality TV star of the biggest reality TV show in history. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh man. No, there's this great quote where like he looked at it and saw that Chris Christie and Marco Rubio, there's no way a good reality TV show could be a good show with Chris Christie and like Marco Rubio. <laughs> it needed a new script and new actors, and that's what he provided it. Little and I was Marco. like, Little Marco. His nicknames are pretty good. I, I, the nickname. He keeps it simple, man. K I S S. Keep it simple, stupid. Mm. No, I think that's so. Slogan. With, with how dumb, dumb down are the majority of our electorate is. Don't make nuanced points. That's the that's what amazes me about Bernie Sanders, that he makes at least a more complicated point than Obama and gets through. That gets through that income inequality is insane. 
Like, because that's a nuanced point. When he starts talking about the point, like, people make fun of him. The point one percent, it's true, dude. Do you know how much the point one percent are doing? <laughs> yeah. You deserve, you got to do more. Do you know how much the... <laughs> right? Like, and that's hard to communicate, because... Anything that's more than just calling him Crazy Bernie, because that's what I think with just calling Crooked Hillary works so much. <laughs> and what it does is it's cognitive bias, right? So it reinforces, if you see anything about the emails, you're like, oh, that's Crooked Hillary. So it's a it's a bomb in the future. It's a plant. So what did he call Bush, Jeb? Did he did he have a nickname for Bush? Ah, fuck. Stupid Bush. He had he, something for Jeb. But I think that was the perfect example. <sighs> I won't go into it because I can't think of the example, but it was like, he called him Stupid Jeb. <sighs> no, it was better than that. His nicknames are good. I'm fucking Googling this shit right now. Yeah, see. no, Google. but um, <laughs> what, did he, what did he call? Did he call Jeb? Because that may have been early. But uh, I'm not looking forward to the next campaign cycle, Cooper, are you? Oh, God, no. <laughs> it's going to be the same thing, I think. <laughs> um, Except he's president. <laughs> except he's the president. I mean, looks like, you know, the rumors on the Twitterverse are that Bernie's going to run again Okay. in 2020. I think so. He's just old, but Trump's old too. Right. So he's seven. How old's Trump? 72? I don't even he's know. He's old, man. He's old. Trump seems very happy, though. Low, seems, <laughs> low energy. Low jab. energy. So I think that was the best one because, like, at the debates, he would, like, be shy to Trump. And it just confirms it's not in the past. It's not a past confirmation. It's like a future confirmation where anything he does that's low energy, people are like, oh, that's low energy Jeb. Donald Trump is the greatest human being, smartest ever, right? And when anything comes about the emails for Hillary, and it almost, I think the election almost was decided by Comey and that just who was going to get the last kind of con on each other? Who was, and it just so happened, like, if you switch the pussy tape and the Comey thing for me, Hillary wins. I think, and I just, I just... I don't really care. I don't want to play back the election, but I just think it was kind of like that, where it's just like you said with that hypo-media, sorry, hyper-reality. Hyper yeah. What's the last imprint in people's mind when they go to the voting booth? And I think for a lot of people, it was Comey because that was the week of. Yeah. So, and I don't blame Comey. I'm just saying that I think because that's our reality, the hyper-reality, that's well, what happened. Fucking, I mean, Comey, what the fuck <laughs> are you doing, dude? Like, what a fucking idiot! Oh. I think like you shouldn't interfere. With he an said, election. like he says, he didn't want to interfere, but he's fucking announcing this shit. That's what. Anyways, what's I mean, hey, I don't want to interfere, but um, oh, what, what is it? Four days? It literally, <laughs> what is the week? I think it's six days. Literally, it's like, oh yeah, um, I, uh, I'm gonna indict her, and then three days. Like it took him two days. Like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna indict her. It's like people vote early, people, and you just look so bad when you say, oh, I'm gonna indict her. Or what did he say? It's like I'm thinking of indicting her because we find new. Oh no, we found new emails. That's what happened. And we've reopened the investigation. It wasn't about indictment, but we've reopened, it, which looks just as bad. <sighs> <laughs> Getting yourself worked up there, man? <laughs> I don't... Again, I'm not a fan of the neoliberals. Definitely not. Which Clinton is, oh, a, yeah. is a huge... And the, re, the reason because Trump could rise is because the hatred for the neoliberals, even though I don't think a lot of the public understands the no, neoliberal they ideology. No, they understand not. what the fuck they've done to us, the banks, the offshoring of jobs. They they see that. See, people, they don't, I don't think, study philosophy, but they know when their job's gone, something's fucked up. They know when they're making less than their parents, this is fucked up. They know when minimum wage hasn't gone up since the 70s, it's fucked up. So that's the things they know. They don't read, like, I think, intellectuals or just people who, you know, you can go out and find a lot more information about this system. And they don't understand Goldman Sachs is literally having dinner with Hillary Clinton all the time, and she's giving speeches to them. 
But they know those things stuff. And that's where Trump can step in and say, TPP sucks. And I agree TPP sucks. I'm glad he said no to that. That was a terrible deal. We lost our sovereignty. But the fact that they don't see Trump as the corrupter is mind-boggling. That both choices suck, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> I think, like I said earlier, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of mobilization that's got to be done if we really want. It's uh, going to be local. If we want systemic change. And I think, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, DSA. There's actually a chapter of the DSA here in Austin. I'm not a member yet. Uh, been What's the DSA? The, D, uh, the Democratic Socialists of America. They've I'm been gaining a, socialist. a lot of uh, membership and steam, uh, especially in the wake of the election. And some things that they did locally, I think a lot of the chapters recently within the last month uh, got together and they like helped fix broken brake lights and taillights and things like that. And I think that's the type of organizational structure that has to really get going. Like we need to be out there showing people that there's a better society to be had. And like that's going to take all of us getting out there and not just sitting here doing podcasts every week, but also like getting our fucking hands dirty and like helping people out and showing them what a socialist or at least a more democratic version of society can be like right because i you know what i mean it's like i'm as a anarchist i'm very suspicious of centralized state power because i think that can backfire just suspicious as, of any just as much power. as as horribly as as capitalism run amok right but i think we have to be out there and like showing through actions that you know this is because you know, another another example is I'd feel I'd be a lot happier, I think, if I was able to contribute to like if we were if I was building homes for neighbors or kids or, you know, orphans, whatever, if I was fucking part of a team that was building homes and, and housing for people like that would be a rewarding existence. Right. It would be a lot of it'd be a lot of fucking hard work. But. You know, I get to see, I get to realize the benefits of my labor by, like, I'm Helping fucking people. building a house. I'm not just sitting here moving shit around in a fucking spreadsheet to make Mark Zuckerberg stock shares go up. You know what I mean? And oh, I, I think that's the society that I want to be a part of is one where, like, there I'm directly investing in my community and I get the dividends of that of that work by, like, creating things that other people can use and enjoy you know mm -hmm. and i think if we all had that sort of approach to life then we'd be a lot better off than this sort of shut off atomized you know head down in your on your <clears throat> iphone all the time on social media or tv or whatever the distraction from reality might be you know i agree it's so true that you know we are all one in my opinion whether we realize it or not and something like a local garden brings everyone together. And I think if, like you said, building houses for everyone, Habitat for Humanity at least tries to do that. It started by Jimmy Carter. He's one of the few presidents who got out of office and did not take the money. Right. He's not some rich billionaire. Probably like the most moral, maybe one of the more moral presidents we, I we heard someone else, ever fucking had. I heard someone else, and obviously I wasn't alive, but I, in, in looking at his afterlife, that he just didn't take the millions of dollars like Bill Clinton did and Obama, I think, is about to. And oh Trump, oh Trump, it may be the worst. I will I will agree with anyone. Oh, yeah. But um yeah, I, I agree that Carter seems like the most more most moral president, which I think is amazing because like you said with centralized power, I think anyone attracted to power is mediocre, almost by definition. Or they're deranged, like there's gotta be you, you know have what to I mean? be because you have to be a psychopath to climb the ladder. Yeah, exactly. Because you because literally you have to trample over people. Like that's what 
To me, yeah, I, being I, the nice guy isn't going to necessarily. Because then you're like, oh, you can be president. If you were the nice guy, right? You're like, oh, I'll be, I'll be VP. Right. If it, think of what it means to say, I want control of the earth. I want to be president of the nukes. Not, not president <laughs> of the nukes, but president of the United States. Right? Like you want all that power for yourself. That means a lot. That means borderline mental disorder. I would, I would. With Trump, I think it's more egregious than necessary. But I think for anyone running for president, like you should have. Yeah, a you definitely have to wonder. Exam. Well, um, this came from me in capitalism where I used to idolize Bill Gates. I, I, I did programming and I used to be like, oh, he's so rich. He's, he's such a good businessman. He's such a great contributor to society. And now I've come to this kind of realization that if you're a billionaire, think of what happens, except if you're Donald Trump and you inherited the money, you're, <laughs> what happens if you're a billionaire? That means you made $20 million and that wasn't good enough. That means you made $200 million and that wasn't good enough. So you have the yacht. You have the house, multiple houses. Maybe you don't have a million houses that maybe takes billionaire money. But you have everything you want, literally private jet. You can buy a private jet, $60 million. Then you make like a billion. That's still not enough for these people, for like Bill Gates. Like that's still not enough. Like you can't say, okay, I'm just going to give my stock to everyone who works on my company or something. Like that's still not enough to me in a way that like that's the behavior we promote in our society that you should take – Again, we talked about unlimited growth, that you should just – you have all the fruits of your labor, which is why does he have all that? Because he organized 100,000 people below him – that's how big Microsoft is to, – to work in a functional way, which is hard. But he shouldn't get all that wealth. And that that's my whole thing with minimum – with people don't think about minimum wage is that what I'm saying is that Bill Gates should make less – Sorry, the thing about minimum wage is like, you know, the waiters, it's like, oh, you think we think should pay the waiters, the people at McDonald's more money, and what am I going to get? Someone's like a doctor. A doctor should get paid less. I'm like, no, the doctor should get paid more. The McDonald's person should get paid more, and Bill Gates should take probably a 50% cut and be giving that to your money because he didn't deserve – he's just gotten that from stock options, and he didn't do anything for that. And compound interest. Yeah, he isn't – like what value is he doing past $2 billion? Like right. someone proved to me. Yeah, you're I not know creating, there's numbers. Yeah. You're not directly creating that much value. Yeah. And I think even I'm, worse than that is like the whole rent-seeking phenomenon of like passive income, like you know, people that invest in housing and shit like that. Oh, capital gains. Um, just to like – you know what I mean? It's like – housing prices have gotten so inflated that mm -hmm. people can only rent well that makes you know that makes the, people the investment more that makes an investment more enticing because you can get great rents so like if you have capital already then you can price you know ultimately it drives the mm -hmm. cost of housing up to where nobody can really afford it unless you move to some shitty area where there are no jobs right and your lead your waters literally have lead <laughs> right but you bought you the biggest example for me of this is the stock market so the stock market produces nothing it, it's literally getting rich off the manipulation of money it's amazing that we idolize and i think it's the biggest market on earth it's amazing we idolize that though that's like the, the big that's what capitalism has produced just for anyone who want to take a step back the biggest market on earth is no value it doesn't feed you. It doesn't build anything. It's getting rich off the manipulation of money. It's all like this facade. And it's even worse with, I think, you know, I think that's, again, taking at its lowest value because that's how I try to reach people because I think we do have a problem. We're all divided because when you get on Facebook, you see, you see the news articles you want to see. 
You see the things that don't inflame you. And I see the things that I like. And it's hard for us to talk to each other. And that's why I just try to boil things down to its simplest form. I'm like, so what is Wall Street? It's making money off of money. Yeah, definitely. Especially in the age where there's not even, you know, there's not even physical trading going on on the floors of any of the exchanges anymore. And it's all giant algorithms that are fucking operating at the speed of light, Super you know, computers, yeah. making, you know, they're making inc- like, it's just not even like, how can the fucking individual investor compete against a fucking trading algorithm that can do buy and sell a million shares before you can even bat your fucking eye, right? Like that's just outsized power in few hands. And it's com- fundamentally undemocratic. It's fundamentally, you know, decoupled. We've decoupled productivity from, from economic growth now as well. Um, I think since 2000, I don't I forget when the date. I've maybe. seen that graph. You're right. Yeah. There's like, doesn't matter. Like we're way more productive, which basically means the capitalists are just fucking squeezing us harder and harder. And so what that means is Bill Gates shouldn't be. This is why I said with the whole Bill Gates shouldn't have eighty billion. Bill Gates should have ten billion, and everyone else below him should be getting paid half a million or something like that. Man, I, I don't know if it's good to have numbers. Greater but, investor. But Bill yeah. Gates is stealing your product. Stealing your wealth. Literally, he's stealing your wealth. When you, when your productivity, your productivity should r- rise with wages linearly. When they're decoupled, when it flatlines, sorry, when your productivity goes up, it's still going up with technology, and your wages flatline, that money is still being made. Oh, absolutely. And the Koch brothers get that money. <laughs> Donald Trump gets that money. Um, yeah. Whomever else. Yeah. Not to, I'm not, see, I'm not, I don't want to bash, again, like, it's not good to talk about Trump. It's a whole ideologically... We're in an ideological bullshit where we think the system can somehow repair itself or think it can work. And that's the whole thing of why I don't want to call out Bill Gates necessarily. He's the poster child. He's been the richest person for 30 years. Just got overtaken by Jeff Bezos, which scares me because I used to work at Amazon. I think he's just getting started. He may be the first trillionaire. But it's not about the individual. It's just like how does our, our system is producing these people? They're just simply playing the game as best as they see it. And the fact that we can make a system that doesn't allow Bill Gates. Like, oh, you made a billion dollars? Yeah, we're just taking all your money and your, your corporation's nationalized. Suck it. I, and we don't have to do that. But we allow them to do that, and that's a crime. <laughs> and we can talk about solutions more. And I agree with you, um, centralized power. You talked about avoiding centralized power. Let me ask, would you be okay with a direct democracy where, like, everyone just votes for the, votes for the legislation? There's no like appointed people. Yeah, I mean, I think that I want I want democra- eh, direct democracy, particularly in the workplace, especially. And okay. I don't think we can really be Total, so no stockholders. We can really be free in the sense of I don't know how, you know. There's different forms of like mutualism. Mm-hmm. I think is something that's an interesting concept that I'd like to do more reading on. I definitely don't like. I don't want a state capitalist system like, like the Chinese have necessarily you know what i mean but uh, they have a communist dictatorship is that how you well the i would you know from the communist communist or leftist perspective you know depending on whom you ask they would say that china is state capitalism so basically the party are the shareholders making all of the economic decisions okay they also versus market they shield them from market competition and many, that, re- and many, many of their states supported. Their, yeah, their biggest companies are almost like 
what it's called, Beto, like their version of Amazon is they just have a billion people. So they serve as many people as Amazon serves, but they're, Amazon doesn't compete in China. Right. And also, what's it, the Google? The They have, they almost mirror our big tech companies in China. This is what I find interesting. But they're all like state run. That's what I was trying to, yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out how their system works because they don't get competition from Google. Right. See, they can be a lot more efficient too yeah. um, because it's like you also whenever you have uh, resources competing in a marketplace, you know, there's a lot of waste that goes on in that process because, you know, someone's research and development might not pan out, right? So, like, something like uh, Blu-ray versus what was the other competing technology? Oh, 4K? Uh, no, before that. Whenever we were talking DVD. Um, there was HD, DVD, and there was Blu-ray, right? Gotcha. Two competing technologies. Which, One was put forth by Sony, and I think the other was, like, Hitachi and maybe a consortium of some other uh, tech technology firms. So, one, you know, one of those firms spent a lot of a shitload of capital looking into that particular technology that could have been spent elsewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So the chap- the Chinese gain a lot of efficiency in situations like that where there's only one particular monopoly. Monopoly is going to be the most efficient decision-making process, right? Yeah. Because we don't have shareholders. We just have, you know, gotcha. we are the one sole group. This is the decision. This is how m- many things get produced. Boom. Mm-hmm. I agree with what you said uh, it a direct democracy and economic system like um, if there's more people who work at the windmill than management and the like the treatment at the windmill sucks like literally it's killing people with bad air quality and they don't put air conditioners in right you could guarantee stuff. Like, if they should be able to vote out the ceo or so, you know something like that just absolutely like, yeah you know that kind of shit would never take place you would never have people being exploited you know what i mean it's like some of these warehouse uh the working environments are so shitty that it's like people oh will, God. they won't even put air conditioning. They commit suicide. They it's won't so put sad. air conditioning in these warehouses and they fucking metric the shit out of people. So that's like this fucking technocratic hell. And it's cheaper to just have an ambulance parked out front than it is to Didn't actually. Amazon literally did that. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. I mean, that is that is capitalism. That is late stage fucking capitalism by definition. It, Boom. End of story right there, right? It's oh, like profits yeah. are more important than people. And you're just an expendable gotcha. commodity, a line item on a fucking spreadsheet somewhere. And that's why I'm so obsessed with language, almost, because I think we, we can throw around neoliberal, and I think it's always good to define neoliberal. But late, unfettered capitalism definitely can't coexist. Maybe like small town capitalism, like um, where you grow up and you just trade, come to the farmer's market every day and trade your goods for money. Right. That Free can exchange. Work. Yeah, that can work. But unfettered capitalism, corporate capitalism, gonna kill us all. Right. Yeah. Because you can. I mean, you can. Like, we yeah. literally have wars where Raytheon, Raytheon makes profits off killing people. Like, you think that's like we can't have that? But sorry, continue. Were you gonna say something? Well, I was gonna say that you know you don't you can markets are efficient at at certain things like they're efficient at telling you how to do something, or but they're not gonna tell you why. And they can be, you know what I mean? Having a market doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have, you know, capitalism. Oh, okay. Right? Like the two, like you can have a market without capitalism and especially like the most insidious form, which is shareholder capitalism where, you know, it's mean the shareholders aren't really doing any labor to yeah. contribute. They're so just, Warren Buffett makes all they're decisions. just gaming off of the system of capital. Yes. So once you've, once you've set up the initial curve, once you've set up the initial groundwork, like you've gotten the people in China, you've taken advantage of some other country having bad labor laws, which I think a lot, that's why iPhones oh, yeah. are made in China. Fuck you, yeah, of course. You then reap off that. 
which what are they really doing? They're exploiting. Yeah, and that's absolutely. what I think. Unfettered capitalism is again back to the global warming issue. It's just a, it becomes unending exploitation, exploitation of workers, and exploitation of the environment. And you can't pay off nature, folks. I think we're getting pretty close to a stopping point. I was about to say <laughs> it's getting pretty close to an hour and a half. Cooper, you're a really smart guy. <laughs> I need to read up on modernism. Because my whole thing, postmodernism. Because that, that's my our friend. Is, I don't. Are you familiar? You're familiar with Jordan Peterson, right? Yes. You know he He's rails, been on Joe Rogan. He rail. Times. He rails against the postmodernists and the neo-Marxists. Those so you damn neo-Marxists. Join the uh, join the postmodern neo uh, neo-Marxist. I love. Cult, I man. love this because once I got in the neo cultural Marxism, dude. I, they get in the neoliberal. It's like you add neo to everything now. So the neo Trump's a neo-fascist, right? And so I, I don't know. I've heard him called it being called a neo-fascist. And so the the neo obsession because it's Latin for new. And so it's. But I agree that um the neoliberal ideology and neo-Marxism I'll have to look into into um. I haven't read well, Karl Marx that much, and I want to read because I think he was very prescient in some issues with how he saw the problems in capitalism. I think yeah. he was very prescient. I think his critique of capitalism, at least, is a is a valid criticism, and I mean, I think you have to take his points under consideration. I don't know that I necessarily agree with setting up a socialist state that's going to be a dictatorship of the proletariat and all the steps like that. Like, I what I envision is direct democracy at all levels, you know, flatting high, horizontal democracy, not vertical. Yeah, no. Well, and hierarchy is the definite is anti democ. How we how we achieve right? that, you know what I mean? We're gonna have to figure that out. Yeah. Well, to me, but obviously, I brought know, up direct democracy because because I think the the corporations understand the uh, bottleneck where if we vote for Obama, bottom, Obama makes all the decisions. Just buy off Obama. That's the corruption is just like just corrupt the bottleneck. Like just find the bottleneck and corrupt that. Whereas like. Again, they do a lot with CNN is for-profit media, and they do a good job at dividing us. But with a direct democracy, if you have an educated public, they can't do anything because there's nobody pulling the switch. We all do it. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, a little bit about cryptocurrency earlier, and I think the blockchain technology perhaps could be a, a vehicle for doing direct democracy in a way that's, you know, is not going to be able to be manipulated the way, I, I you know see what I mean? such. You know what I've saying? talked about this. I've done a podcast, and I didn't talk about government, but I just think health records, housing records, um, real estate, like literally yeah, property. Yeah, there's so many applications. I think it's really gonna uh, totally. De- it's gonna be a totally disruptive technology in the next, you know, five years. It's gonna only become more and more prominent. That's the debate. I actually, the one thing I didn't ask on the podcast, that I wish I did, is like, so what if Goldman Sachs sees this as a true threat? Because we've invaded, we've invaded countries we thought were threats or that didn't give us all their resources before. And I don't, Goldman Sachs isn't exactly the military-industrial complex, but could we be leading to some kind of conflict? It. Yeah. Oh no, they finance it. That's why we have those pipelines. They finance them. But uh, sorry, what was I going to say? Is that I don't know. I, I haven't sensed anything with the conflict with Goldman Sachs being worried. So maybe I'm just crazy. But I, if something threatens their power. They literally think they own Congress, so I, I just, I'm not that naive to think if they see a threat, they'll take it out. But the, but like I said, blockchain very well made, so decentralized. We'll see if they can do anything about it. Right. <laughs> I think they'll try to get in the game and co-opt it, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, we're running up against a, a kind of a time limit. 
I'm going to have to get going myself pretty soon. So I want to just allow you one more opportunity to, you know, share any final thoughts. And again, definitely plug, feel free to plug away uh, for your show. And I definitely would like to come on your show as well. Cooper, you're definitely going to come do on a, my show. A, a I need t- to get these uh, mics, these um, boom mics. What is Sorry. it? Tit, tit for tack? Is that right? Quid pro quo? <laughs> Quid pro quo. Yeah, I like that better. No, okay. So you can see me at Cycle Warfare HQ. No, sorry, psychowarfare.com. I post articles. I'm starting to be a writer. I suck at writing, but please comment if you thought I wrote a good article. And Cooper's really smart. And again, I would say if people want to learn about a lot of my political philosophies, a lot of it's Noam Chomsky, Sheldon Woolen, and Chris Hedges. They, I, I don't th- consider myself that smart. I just listen to them a lot, and I think they say some really profound things that do not make it into a culture. And when, when we actually spell out where our society is going, nobody actually wants to go there except the one, literally these one percent of people who have amassed so much wealth. It scares the shit out. <laughs> thank you, Cooper, and thank you for your time. Uh, thanks, Alex. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks, Schizoid fans. We will be n- back next week. Ciao.